Greetings. Thank you so much for taking the time to watch my public comment video blog, or if you're listening to the podcast, uh, thank you for that as well. I just want to test my audio here uh, because on my end, so much it's not working. Okay, great. Uh, that, that would confirm that it's working. I apologize there for the disruption. Uh, I just wasn't seeing the audio working uh, on my uh, software. But indeed, I have confirmation uh, that it is. So I am happy about this. Yeah, so I'm talking to you today in a state of what I might call feeling overwhelmed by information overload and finding things today, this morning, um, a struggle to process. But that's okay, because at least I've been able to break down the struggle and get a sense of all of the things that I'm trying to integrate into a sense of the world today. And perhaps you can um, relate to this. I hope that you could. So I would begin this way. I am a holistic person. It's inherent in my personality that, that I, I try to see the world in a very broad way. I try to appreciate as many aspects of life as I can. I try to have a sense of balance, all these things. And I find myself, however, alas, unfortunately, in a bit of a pickle here, and I'll explain. The first time that I ever found myself aware of what I might call this sort of uh, metaphysical conflict or conflict of consciousness, awareness, attention, priorities, if you will, it goes back to about 2011, the sp that spring. And at that time, one of my goals in life was to be staunchly holistic. I liked to write a lot of uh, poetry in those days, and I was trying to write from such a perspective that I was able to establish just a very wide sense of life on Earth, in the universe, as an American, as a New Jerseyan, as a male, as a philosophical type person, um, and you know, all, just all these different dimensions that you want to pay attention to, wanting to be mindful of the movies that are out there, wanting to be mindful of what it is I might be reading, wanting, wanting to be mindful of my psychological state, wanting to be mindful of the environment to a degree. and. My mind then starting to feel like very slushy because the mind can only do so much. 
right? That was around the time that I discovered the value of news, politics, and philosophy, and really established a sense for the first time in my life. I was 25 years old. It's a period I will never forget of establishing a sense of priority. It was a really interesting period. I was 25 years old. I was working as a cashier at ShopRite. Despised it. And I was not going to college at that point in time and was very frustrated with, uh, I was frustrated as I grappled with not only my poverty at the time, I was making minimum wage, maybe eight or $9 an hour. No, I was making eight. ShopRite at some point offered me $9 an hour, but I thought it was such an awful grocery store to work for that I was willing to make a little bit less at another grocery store, which I thought at the time was nicer. I don't know if it's true necessarily that it is or was. So there I am, utterly frustrated with my life as a cashier, not in college, frustrated with the lack of money that I was earning and also suffering from what I would describe as severe writer's block. I had completed a novel and then I threw it out. It was my second novel, my second thrown out novel. I had written two novels at that point, uh, neither of which I had liked. So this one was now uh, dismissed. I, I dismissed it, threw it out, had nothing to do with it. And then I actually began doing a live streaming video blog thing uh, like this. It was much different then. I believe I've deleted every possible existing file that uh, video file that I made in those days as I was not in a frame of mind that I advocate now or would be happy with today. If you notice, I'm pausing more today, perhaps, than I paused yesterday. It is because I've grown mindful of the fact that when I'm searching for my thoughts, I tend to go, um, and, uh, and I note that once you become aware of someone going, uh, and, uh, and you know, and things like that, it could actually be a little bit jarring. So I'm making an effort to try and prevent myself from any ums or fillers of that sort. You might ask why, again, I touch on this as a motif, actually, why is it that I didn't actually prepare a script? Why am I speaking to you extemporaneously, spontaneously, streaming consciousness 
as it were. My wonderful friend Bernard Foyet, poet and writer and intellectual, likes to use that expression, as it were. I think that's a great expression myself, as it were. So, yeah, I was searching through video blogs yesterday and came across this one video blog that really struck me. She titled it Thinking Out Loud, and she talks about how for her, it's easier to identify her thoughts through speaking them in front of a camera to us than it is for her to just jot them down. And I thought, you know, on several levels, this was wonderful. First of all, I found it utterly beautiful the way she was able to just talk to us, honestly, with such, uh, such a openness into her mind and her contemplative content and processing. And I listened to it as I was driving home from work at the tutoring center and I thought, this is beautiful and this is the future. This thing where we just talk to each other. I believe this is the future of, uh, I believe it's one element of where we will evolve in terms of the content that we like to watch and listen to. Just being able to know what we all think in a very honest, uninhibited and unobstructed way. Because as we move through the day all the time, I think that we're not always in a ideal situation to just let our thoughts go and talk. Obviously, if you do have the time and you get to have deep conversations, that's an opportunity and you have good friendships. However, wonderful as those are, there is something about sharing these kinds of things with each other on a grander scale. And I believe also the personal element is really awesome and compelling and beautiful. One of the differences between, say, listening to or watching Rachel Maddow or Lawrence O'Donnell versus a more personal, confessional-style video, blog, podcast thing is that the perspective can be very personal. The platform, the medium, the foundational starting point comes from that perspective of just being a person, a human being, an individual who is processing the world around him or herself. And I guess, I, I guess if you ask me, 
what's one of my most compelling motifs of contemplation, it is processing the world around me. And this gets to my point about information overload. I believe we are deeply, wildly bombarded with information. I find it dizzying. I find it overwhelming. I find it rather anxiety inducing. I find it at the same time fascinating, like watching this ever expanding meteor shower or something of that sort. That being said, as you know, one of my greatest interests with respect to my personality is uh, the news. It's very important to me. Very, very, very important to me to get the news every day and understand it also. But how does one begin to objectively, responsibly begin to process the news when in the first place we are bombarded, not just with so much news, but so many news sources. And then you have to sort through these news sources. So I'll give you a look at my attempt to do this this morning. I was reading the New York Times this morning and you know the, the breaking story today, right? Uh, I don't know if you can see the headline on that picture or not. House panel approves contempt for Barr after Trump claims privilege over full Mueller report. Okay. You'll note it takes me until about, it takes until you, about the seventh paragraph to get a sense of the pure legal and policy essence of the conflict between Attorney General William Barr and the House Judiciary Committee. At the, it, at the seventh paragraph, this is when we see that the House of Representatives specifically has subpoenaed the unredacted version of the Mueller report, as well as accompanying documents and evidence and such. And we find that, uh, on the other hand, the Department of Justice, the executive branch, uh, President Trump say, no, 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 not going to happen. And so just processing this article alone for me is a complicated 
endeavor to be perfectly blunt with you. As you see, when I do my news, I like to annotate. It helps me process it to understand what are the core concepts and the core issues that are presently being examined and are there any words I don't have a perfectly clear or reasonably clear understanding of with respect to its definition. Is there anything I need to follow up on in terms of aspects of the story that I hadn't gotten enough background on or that I would like more background on? And then I've got to pause with reading the article and I've got to then go and get that follow-up information. So like, for example, in the case today, I really, even though I'd already brought this up in an earlier video with you, and I'd gotten a sense that I really wanted a firmer understanding of uh, what is a constitutional crisis. Uh, this is a very interesting concept, right? I lost the picture I had of the CNN article. I'm disappointed. I had a picture of a CNN article explaining what a constitutional crisis is. That's too bad. But I did get uh, some interesting guidance. One of my, I think the best way to put it is that a constitutional crisis is essentially a constitutional question that is especially disputed between different branches of government. I had a few sources for this um, that I can refer you to. There was a good article by The Atlantic uh, published just this St. Patrick's Day by Quinta Jurisic and Benjamin Wits, Witties, Whiteys. I don't know how to pronounce it and I, I apologize. But this article poses the question, addresses the question, are we in fact in a constitutional crisis? Then of course we have the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Congressman Representative Nadler, saying straight out, yes, we are in a constitutional crisis. And then we had the uh, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, say, yes, we are in a constitutional crisis. And in fact, this is a fascinating and, again, overwhelming issue in the context of not, not even, I think, if, if you're someone in the news who's, whose specialty this is, I, I would still say this 
feels like a very overwhelming time period with a lot to digest. I think that the folks on the news, I'm a little jealous because at least they could work together and put these things together and people have particular tasks and they can help each other synthesize and they perhaps therefore possess much greater understanding of all of these issues and how to present them most professionally and uh, to present them in a way that's easiest for the people, the news consumers, us to digest. Me, the honest truth is I'm doing all this by myself. So I, by myself, more so in a place where the, the, role where I feel most empowered at this point in time is just the perspective of the young professional college educated voter with a passion for this topic, some experience in politics and political analysis, trying to grapple with this all the while trying to balance, you know, other aspects of living the good life, if you will, and trying to keep records of it all. So, you know, in this way, I almost think of my, the, the neat thing about a certain form of video blogging and podcasting is a public diary or, uh, I don't know, a degree of gonzo journalism analysis. I don't know exactly what the perfect categorization would be at this point. I'm not even going to go there right now because I just think there's so much going on. So much going on. Back to this constitutional crisis and processing this constitutional crisis and as the news presents it to us. So it's one thing to follow these news articles, right? But what about these more official documents? Uh, if you take a look here, uh, sharing just a, a picture. Uh, this, what I'm showing you a picture of now, uh, the official title of this document is the Amendment in the nature of a substitute to the committee report for the resolution recommending that the House of Representatives find William P. Barr, Attorney General, U.S. Department of Justice, in contempt of Congress for refusal to comply with the subpoena duly issued by the Committee on the Judiciary. Whoa, just the title in itself. I know that's not, I'm not showing you a picture of the title card there. I'm just showing you how there's also in life 
there's the uh, the news articles and then there's the documents or the empirical more empirical pieces of the story which these news articles touch on uh to process as well i mean just pulling back and thinking from the perspective of wanting to be intellectually responsible you always want to say when you get uh something from the news that you want to vet it you want to know what it's talking about you don't always want to just take its word for it right even if it's a news source that you trust i it does so happen to be the case that i i do trust the new york times by the way if you're just listening to the podcast what i can do is uh, refer you to publiccomment.blog and you can take a look at uh, some of these neat pictures or obtain uh, some of these links or watch the video so that you can see what it is that I'm talking about but I'm just I'm talking about essentially this explanation by the House Judiciary Committee explaining specifically why they are frustrated with the president and the attorney general and why the attorney general has been why the attorney general has been found in contempt of the congress really interesting thing i learned about uh congress today by the way if i can now go into a bit of a commentary on some of these key issues at hand congress you know i think that was what i was showing a picture of the congress has what's called oversight and there's a specific source of that oversight it all starts with uh, it's a, it's a constitutional concept based on Article 1, Section 5, Clause 2, where it says uh, explicitly, each house in the Congress may determine the rules of its proceedings. So Congress has the uh, constitutional duty of legislating and how it conducts its legislative business. They're allowed, they're given the legal authority to determine the rules by which they're going to make the laws and contemplate how to make the laws. And one of the rules that they've established for themselves, which is constitutionally protected, because uh, they have the authority to do it, is to have oversight of the federal government and the executive branch, for example, and essentially keep an eye on its operations. Is it operating smoothly? Is there something they need to take from how the executive branch is operating and change the laws which determine how it's going to operate and the laws that it's going to execute as the executive branch? And 
So then we get into what's relevant about the obstruction of justice case here and why, in fact, this story is so culturally significant for us. It was established, first of all, that President Trump tried to obstruct the investigation into Russian interference. And it's established legally that, first of all, well, this little piece is not a, actually a legal thing, but the Department of Justice has, as you may know, what they call DOJ or Department of Justice guidelines. Mueller doesn't, special, special prosecutor, counselor, investigator, Mueller didn't legally have to adhere to the Department of Justice guidelines, but he chose to and said, um, since these guidelines advise or are the opinion that the executive branch can't indict a sitting president, the matter will then be deferred to Congress. And there are really interesting passages in the Mueller report that delve into the statutory uh, legal legalese explanations for this, and they are referenced in the House Judiciary resolution expressing, or rather declaring the finding of uh, Attorney General Barr in contempt of Congress. So there were just a few things I wanted to read to you that I thought were significant um, in volume two. We're talking about the Mueller report here. Just uh, pose with it for a second. It's actually, it's actually not a very happy scenario here. So this is just, I mean, this is not a long, overwhelming legalese thing that I'm going to read to you. It's, it's the bottom line, the takeaway snippet that I think is worth any American interest in being aware of what's going on right now. Written in the Mueller report, uh, volume two, page 168 of the report. Although the president has broad authority under Article Two of the Constitution, that authority coexists with Congress's authority. Article One, Congress's Article One power to enact laws that protect congressional proceedings, federal investigations, the courts, and grand juries against corrupt efforts to undermine their functions. That in itself, I believe, is really well worth reading again, so I'm going to. Although the president has broad authority 
that authority exists with Congress's power to enact laws that protect congressional proceedings, federal investigations, the courts, and grand juries against corrupt efforts to undermine their functions. In other words, Congress has the legal authority to look at credible threats against anything that would impede it having a necessary look at the government. This is very key to understanding the essence, the heart of really what's going on here with the obstruction of justice and the importance of Congress's oversight. Usually, those constitutional powers, that is, uh, that of the executive branch, in contrast to the legislative, these two branches and their powers usually function in harmony with the president enforcing the criminal laws to protect against corrupt, obstructive acts. But when the president's official actions come into conflict with the prohibitions in the obstruction statutes, any constitutional tension is reconciled through separation of power analysis. Yeah, see, here we get to the complex, abstract, legalese stuff, but what does this mean? When you've got this string between the president and his powers and the Congress and their powers, but the president appears to be in violation somehow, then we have to look at the fact that there is, a, there is an executive branch and we have to look at the fact that there's a legislative branch and that there has to be a platform, a medium in which accountability can exist. That's how I interpret and understand it. So, uh, the writers of the Mueller report say based on this, we concluded that Congress can validly regulate the president's exercise of official duties to prohibit actions motivated by a corrupt intent to obstruct justice. The limited effect on presidential power that results from that restriction would not impermissibly undermine the president's ability to perform his Article II functions. This is loaded, in my opinion. First of all, let's just step back and keep in mind the fact that Mueller is even talking about this in the first place. Why does Mueller feel the need at all to outline a theoretical legal framework 
from which Congress can hold the president to accountability and delve into the president's executive branch operations, which otherwise are not, um, which are distinct in that role. But when the president's in a scenario where in that role, there is a credible determination that uh, there is an obstruction of justice, Congress has to look closer at it. And in so doing, this doesn't somehow overpower or push away the president's more basic fundamental legal executive authority. This is getting like abstract and tough. And I mean, I am here just offering you my attempt at an interpretation and analysis. It's a little complicated. And there was just one more part I wanted to read from this that I thought uh, was worth us talking about. This would be from the Mueller Report, Volume 2, page 176 and 177. Again, this is not long. This is actually shorter than what I just read before, but nonetheless, in my opinion, extremely important. Congress clearly has authority to protect its own legislative functions against corrupt efforts designed to impede legitimate fact-gathering and lawmaking efforts. Right? So, in other words... It's entirely legal for Congress to be paying attention to what the president and the executive branch are doing, especially when there is evidence that there is a legal obstruction of justice stuff going on within the presidency and the executive branch. Uh, because it's part of the role of government to be aware of these things, and when there's an effort to keep Congress out of the loop when Congress is supposed to be significantly in the loop, Congress has the legal authority and the right to do something about that. Further, uh, referencing the Supreme Court case uh, that dealt with Watergate and Nixon, also known as the United States versus Nixon. Uh, the court rejected, the Supreme Court rejected the president's claim of absolute executive privilege. Now keep this in mind because this is the debate that's going on today as we speak. The president claiming executive privilege and saying, no, 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 you're not going to, you know, Congress, you can't have the unredacted Mueller report. And no, 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 uh, the executive branch isn't going to talk to you and tell you anything about anything. But here we have the reference to the Supreme Court saying back in Watergate in the United States versus Nixon that the president can't do that. 
And when the president claims that it's his executive privilege or hers, the president can't do that. That is not legally permissible based on our laws. Specifically, um, the court rejected the president's claim of absolute executive privilege because, and this is the exact quotation from the Supreme Court, the allowance of the privilege to withhold evidence that is demonstrably uh, relevant in a criminal trial would cut deeply into the guarantee of due process of law and gravely impair the basic function of the courts. So bottom line is for the president to prevent valuable information, highly suggestive of criminal activity, that's essentially, as the Supreme Court found, like literally an unjust, illegal thing. And uh, that's some of what I was thinking about today. Now, though, I want to tie this back to my broader concern, which is that of information overload. So there you see, here we are trying to look at the news and what our Congress is doing and finding ourselves in a place where the government is in a constitutional crisis and one is trying to understand the legal concepts and understand the ethical implications and by the way that's one newspaper article and one government document which took a considerable amount of time out of, out of the day, right? Not that I'm complaining about the time that I put into it, it's my interest as it so happens. But point being, take this from the perspective of someone who just wants to be informed. Take this from the perspective of someone who would like to read more than one news article. How much, note how much time it takes, at least uh, for me, I guess I'm just not as fast a reader as other people are, but uh, for me to really process this stuff it, and talk about it, it takes a bit of time. And after all that, you're kind of like, whoa. And yet, how much more of the world is there? How much more is still going on? What about the daily routine we each have in general and where the news fits into that and how when the news is so complex as this is i mean think about this right we're just talking about one particular conflict in this broader state of concern with respect to the president and his obstruction of justice and his ties to Russia, right? We haven't even begun talking about the emoluments clause and the apparent violation of that. We haven't begun actually even talking specifically about the Russian interference into the election. 
we haven't begun talking about all the other key players, right? Just this little piece of it that one tries to absorb. And what if politics isn't your thing, per se, academically or intellectually, yet you want to be a responsible person and be aware of this? And how that plays into your daily routine. Granted, we live in exceptional times, but I, I still say there's there's still this in, in, intense information overload. You know, for my part, I'm still thinking about, okay, I would like to find my time to do some meditation. I want to make sure that I do my exercising. By the way, it is not the case yet that I can do this in itself as a living. It could be in the future that I can vote all of my day or a significant portion of my day to this video blogging and podcasting thing as an occupation career concept. Uh, but I'm not in that place now. I've got my job to go to, the, the one that pays me money, that is, soon. And I've got to be mentally and intellectually energetic, psychologically energetic for that, right? And prepared for it. And then what about the desire to get away from it all? And by the way, you take a look at Netflix. I mean, there's a lot of shows on Netflix. Or maybe you want to check your Hulu or your Amazon, or one of these other platforms. Or maybe you just watch YouTube videos or Twitch or these other mediums where there's all these entertainment options. You want to listen to your Spotify, your iTunes, things I out there that I haven't yet heard of. And what about, by the way, all the cleaning you want to do, keeping your living quarters in order? What about keeping uh, in the loop with your social media? Going through that Facebook news feed, trying to keep up with all of your Facebook friends and all of the ads, and you start to feel dizzy, like, whoa. And then you check out your Twitter feed, and you check out your LinkedIn, and I am sure I've missed something. There are social media things I haven't even heard of. Your Tumblr, your Snapchat, your Instagram. I, for one, can't even juggle all of that. I just stick pretty much to my Facebook and my Twitter. Did I mention any kind of paperwork you need to do? Are you paying all of your bills? Are you trying to uh, vet the right health insurance policy, auto insurance policy? Are you moving? Are there any house improvements you want to make? What's up with your financial life? Are you investing in something? All of this was just political and daily routine. What about the complexities of investing and 
one's financial life and the nuances and the ever-expanding universe of all of that and trying to wrap that around. What about your relationships? Your friendships? Keeping in touch with all of, the, all of your family members? about your marriage or your romantic relationships. But if you are in search of one, what about your interest in art? The arts, broadly speaking, not just painting, all the poetry out there, all the novels out there, all the flash fiction and short stories out there, the audiobooks. What about that strain of that plethora of books available to you versus the people you know who are trying to get recognized for their writing or work, their artwork? How do you begin exploring visual art as you seek to become a more cultured person. Paintings, sculpture, dancing. What about what's going on in Hollywood, in the theater? And what about what's new in the science world? And what about what's new in the technology world? Never mind the status of your current laptop or smartphone or tablet or your kitchen appliances or your internet router, your television, your cable. I'm sure that I've missed something. But I mean, I just find all of this really so terribly complicated and overwhelming. So indeed, but by the way, I didn't even mention music, did I? I mean, that's my point. To, to just be a human and experience all the world, is, it's so difficult today. And yet, it's all, you know, within your fingertips. And it becomes this question of how are we going to find the balance these days? Take a deep breath, I say to myself. That's why at least the opportunity to think out loud, talk it out to you, at least we can get a conversation going about this. Perhaps you have some thoughts on how to make this work better. This navigation through the human experience and trying to really have a rich and full experience and feel that, that one is um, ethical in one's 
awareness, observations, contemplations, processing, appreciations. That's, that's where I am today, trying to find the balance. And look, I know that there is such a thing as division of labor. And I know that you can't do it all. You can't have it all. You can't be it all. I get it. I get that there's a reason why we have specialists. People who work a particular job and they have their knowledge base that enables them to make their contribution. But, and, and, and like I get that, uh, you could call this a sort of very niche global culture that we live in. And in that sense, it's sort of very democratic because we can all sort of find where we fit in to this complex, universal, social um, context. I appreciate that. But, you know, that doesn't change the fact that, for my part, the pleasure for me of being alive is getting a sense of the world around me. And not having to get so caught in a specialization, which I mean, I'm sort of hypocritical because at the end of the day, the one thing that I never let go of is my news and specifically my political news. And again, even then I go back to like, well, how do you decide who your number one news source should be? For me, I tend to gravitate towards the New York Times and the Washington Post every morning and start there. But who's to say that there aren't other media platforms that are competitive and worth watching. As for like television, for example, I tend to keep MSNBC on. And I'm so attached to my MSNBC. I enjoy my attachment to MSNBC, but what am I missing out on? As CNN plays their thing or as some other less known media outlet is broadcasting its eyes on the world. I could be watching someone's Facebook live stream instead, who perhaps just has a, an excellent analysis. Right? Or they're streaming on some website I've never even heard of. And I've got to go there.
I mean, I've just exhausted myself thinking about all of this. And I don't mean this like as, this isn't an arbitrary intellectual exercise for me. I mean, I really want to have a firm grasp of reality. And I believe awareness is that um, act through which we attempt to find this. And uh, to quote the great Forrest Gump, I think it was the one who, who said this, uh, that's all I've got to say about that. I think that's all i got to say about that. I'm trying to think. <sighs> yeah, because I, I like to keep these at about an hour. Hey, I wonder what that is. got a bunch of texts. In fact, it is the wife. And it's good timing because it is time for me to call it, call it a day. Cause I, again, I make my rule for myself where I try to keep it at an hour unless I find myself in filibuster mode or there's going to be a special guest or there is a compelling reason to go beyond that one hour benchmark. But I want to thank you all for taking the time to watch the live stream, or if you're watching the video blog on YouTube or on my website, uh, publiccomment.blog, I thank you. If you're listening to the podcast, I thank you for doing so. I want to encourage you to check out other episodes from the past, and I want to encourage you to Keep a watch for what will uh, be produced by the public comment video blog and podcast in the future. And I hope that you'll be willing to tell your friends, family about uh, this little video blog podcast thing that I'm doing, the public comment video blog series. And uh, I mean, I hope you'll join me in demanding that uh, the government be held accountable and that we protect the rule of the law in these kinds of things. I encourage you to check out, if you're not watching or listening to this there, check out publiccomment.blog where you can read my essays, where you can watch previous uh, video blogs or listen to previous podcasts and it's sort of the hub for all things public comment and uh, I thank you ladies and gentlemen have a wonderful day and good luck getting through the information overload final thought any thoughts questions things you want to communicate to me points you want to contribute please offer me your feedback I want to process it and learn from you. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Bye.